This is Kelly Hill, Executive Editor of RCR Wireless News. Today we're going to be having a pretty expansive discussion about the actual reality of 5G deployments in their current state, as well as some of the issues that have to be addressed in order for mobile network operators to get the most out of these deployments and all the investment that goes along with them. This is the first of a two-part podcast series, Getting 5G Right, The Network Now, The Network Next. There's a lot to cover on this topic, and we're going to be hearing from Jim Newens of Viavi Solutions, who is the VP and GM of Wireless Field Instruments. Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Viavi and what informs your perspective? Thank you, Kelly. My role at Viavi is I am the business unit lead for the wireless field instrument business. Uh, this includes our RF spectrum analyzer product family, signal analyzers, fiber instruments, as well as protocol instruments for both backhaul and fronthaul. So Viavi offers a broad range of products and services for network equipment manufacturers, service providers, the system integrator ecosystem, as well as the contractor ecosystems. Our market perspective is based on the visibility we gain in collaborating with our customers. My specific focus areas are with service providers, system integrators, and contractors. And in many cases, we're trusted advisors of those customers. We actually work with our customers. We go out on problem calls with them to help them, not only to show them how to use our instruments to solve specific problems, but also to help them solve some of the chronic problems that they see in their network. We've had numerous instances in the past year, year and a half, where we've been in directly involved with our customers on ride-alongs uh, to solve real-world problems in their networks. We also spend a lot of time reviewing our roadmaps and having discussions with our customers about our roadmaps and how well they align to their needs. But overall, we're pretty intimate with the service provider and system integrator ecosystem and, uh, and, and get a lot of visibility gained in our discussions and, and uh, activities with them. Okay, so some real on the ground perspective coming from you today, which I think um, is much needed in the industry. So, so thanks for giving us that context. Um, let's start off with a high level view on the question that I think is top of mind for a lot of people. Um, so what actually is the reality of 5G deployment today? What do you actually see going on right now in terms of deployment activity and capabilities? Yeah, good question. So right now, it's all about mid-band. You know, in the US, popularly known as C-band, same in, in Europe. But let's go back a little bit because uh, 5G actually started quite a bit of time ago. And the first wave was dynamic spectrum sharing, which in, in fact, for me, think of it as uh, 5G and 4G combined into one signal. Right? So we're all running non-standalone networks where the control channels and voice go the path of the 4G, but the user plane, the data, the, the streaming content that you're running to your phone is on 5G. That's mm -hmm. dynamic spectrum sharing. That was actually the first wave that occurred a while back in the US, uh, continues to occur in smaller uh, scale in the US, but now is uh, also being deployed in EMEA. Uh, the, the European Union has lots of examples where DSS is being deployed. And then it also started with a specific areas, millimeter wave deployments, specifically targeting fixed wireless access services. So we all know some of the early adopters on the millimeter wave technology. They were also very early in the deployment wave. Okay. Now it has evolved into mid-band. So today I call mid-band real 5G. Right? The mid-band is the 3.7 gig spectrum. Uh, you have real uh, expanded channel bandwidths. So customers actually get 
increased uh, QOE, quality of, quality of experience from their, from their mobile phones. Midband is now introducing the concepts of virtualized RAN and eventually ORAN, and then moving that midband technology back into the fixed wireless access as well as, a, as an alternative to millimeter wave with, with longer or more coverage area per cell site. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Um, but what about anything going on in terms of, uh, you know, open RAN, virtualized RAN, you know, is the network architecture itself changing as well? Yeah. So that I, I look at the network today and I see two distinct different architectures. I see the legacy 4G architecture and I see the next generation 5G architecture. The easiest way to, to tell the difference is by looking at the front hall connections between the baseband or, or distributed units and the radio units. In 4G, this was all based on legacy CPRI technology that uh, has some limitations when it relates to higher bandwidth and higher channels, higher channel bandwidth. That is, the connection itself grows in, uh, in, in magnitude very quickly. Uh, and so the legacy 4G front halls are used for dynamic spectrum sharing. And then some of the, some of the new installs in new spectrum, like 600 megahertz spectrum, uh, even some of the 2.5 gig spectrum. And then the lower MIMO, the lower uh, order eight, transmit eight, receive MIMO configuration still use some of the legacy 4G uh, architectures. Then as you get into the wider channels on 5G in the midband, you start to see the emergence of eSIPRI and virtualized RAN in the, uh, in the network. Sort of funny to think that lower order MIMO is eight at this point. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so, so you've given this sort of a, a lay of the land. Um, does that view change on, a uh, on sort of a regional basis? You know, is there... Um, significant differences in, in what you see in terms of activity and deployment in, um, you know, for, in the yeah. U.S. versus other places around the world? Yeah, good question. So certainly, so they just use an example of something that's in the news today, right? In the Asia-Pacific region, Korea announced last week that the government of Korea is revoking the millimeter wave spectrum uh, licenses from the service providers. Yep. Mm -hmm. The service providers did not meet the deployment uh, metrics that were laid out for retaining the licenses. And, uh, and so the licenses are being revoked. What's interesting is this was, from my perspective, this was almost a foregone conclusion. If you looked at the market in Korea, the cell phones that they've been selling for the last four years that have been 5G capable did not have the millimeter wave spectrum involved in them. Mm. You, you couldn't do millimeter wave spectrum. Unlike, for example, if you look at the US, most of the, most of the mobile phones that are available today that are 5G that are from the from the higher end uh, providers of the higher end phones all contain millimeter wave capability, right? So there was only going to be so much people available on the millimeter wave spectrum and fixed wireless access in Korea. If you've ever been to Korea, the the dense urban areas dominate the landscape, and there's fiber everywhere. So there's there's limited or no market for fixed wireless access in the Korean space if it's not used. Um, for mobile applications and streaming and, and you know, enhanced mobile broadband, the catchphrase, it's probably not being used at all. The one example that I did here in Korea where they are using millimeter wave, we're mm -hmm. using it, was in the subway systems where they were using millimeter wave technology to communicate to 
Wi-Fi access points. So the phone that the users had were using Wi-Fi to get the to get the internet content, but the Wi-Fi access points were being fed by 5G millimeter wave technology. Hmm. Again, Wi-Fi is in the phone, so they have to react to what's in the phone, right? Yeah, mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. And then, and then, just in EMEA, EMEA, EMEA feels like a you know they're they're following the path of some of the more developed areas in terms of they've started with DSS. We see a fair amount of DSS. We are starting to see some uh, mid-band deployments in some specific areas where auctions have taken place, but no significant millimeter wave at this point in the EMEA you know, market. Uh, one, one note though, there are two operators in EMEA that we are aware of that, are, that, are, have, that do have very, very small, almost like trial deployments of ORAN. Oh. Something to watch out for. Okay, well, definitely we'll keep an eye on that. Okay, so, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we've had DSS and sort of a non-standalone 5G for, for several years now, you know, really deployments kicking off in 2019. And, and so we're three years in. Um, how would you categorize the state of the 5G ecosystem at this point? You know, you sort of mentioned the lack of, of millimeter wave device support in, in certain countries. Um, you know, what, what, what do you see across the broad ecosystem in terms of where we're at? Yeah, so um, I think there's a, a fairly significant amount of 5G coverage in most major areas today. So if you, if you travel to Asia, get into the, and into most of the countries in Asia, Europe, and in North America now, if, no matter who you're on, it's not very difficult to get a 5G signal. Um, in some cases, you're getting a DSS signal, right? In almost all cases, with, with a few exceptions, you're getting an NSA signal, right? And, uh, and, but you are able to get a signal. Uh, Mid-band is starting to come online. I was actually in Europe uh, last week, two weeks ago. Two weeks before the Thanksgiving holiday, and um, I actually was able to get a mid-band signal where I was in EMEA on a U.S. operator contract. Hmm. So yeah, uh, first time I've seen something of significant bandwidth available in uh, in a European country. So that speaks to both device support and sort of roaming relationships. And Bingo. Yes, those are definitely there. And then I go at other places. I won't name any names here, but <laughs> uh, there's 5G everywhere around me and my phone contract is still only letting me access the 4G network. So it's, wow. it's, a, it's still in works. It's got to evolve, right? <laughs> and it yeah. takes time. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Great, but okay, so I feel like at this point, we're sort of really getting a feel for the state of the of 5G itself on a, on a global basis. Um, and we've sort of mentioned at this point that 5G isn't the only thing out there that's impacting how networks are being deployed. There's also multi-access edge computing or MEC, uh, and there's open brand, which we've talked about a little bit. So, um, but I wanna take a minute and focus a little bit more on open RAN specifically, because there's, there's a lot of excitement around this. There's um, a lot of tests and trials. Commercial deployments um, have been, a lot, I, think, I think it's fair to say a lot more limited with some notable exceptions like NTT Docomo in Japan um, and DISH here in the US. Let's talk a little bit more about what you see happening around ORAN right now in terms of development and or deployment. You mentioned some interesting uh, things that you're seeing in EMEA in terms of small deployments. Um, let's, let's, let's dig into that a little more. Yeah, good, uh, 
Good point. So open RAN, virtual RAN, XRANs, uh, um, your observations are correct. There are a very limited number of actual scale deployments going on. Mm -hmm. However, there is a lot of trialing, tinkering, lab work going on. I think that the business case to the service providers is clear. They mm -hmm. see it. And I think with the exception of very few, most of them have plans to move in a direction of an open RAN-based network in the future. Um, most of them who are not jumping right in, like you've stated, DISH, for example, are starting with virtual RAN. Um, and, and virtual RAN lays the groundwork to convert over to open RAN, um, the, the existing network that would be deployed, and then gives you the flexibility in the, in the greenfield uh, as you further as you further expand your network, right? So virtual RAN is a is a way to make an initial investment uh, and still allow yourself to wait for ORAN technology to mature, but it is fully architecturally aligned with with ORAN. So I expect this to continue to expand. In fact, um, those folks with with VRAN based solutions today uh, are probably getting uh, you know deployment regions where uh, the other guys are getting frozen out because they don't have the virtual RAN capability or they're not, uh, they're not ready with it yet, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's just some, some clear examples around the globe of, of this going on. In fact, Rakuten in Japan is a clear, it's a fully virtualized RAN. I, I don't think we'd want to characterize it as open RAN in the context of, of the ORAN Alliance and the mm -hmm. standardized stacks, but, yeah. um, but still, very much open multi-vendor uh, capability, a lot of it being developed uh, as they go through it. Um, the EMEA trials, uh, so we know of two major service providers in EMEA who are actually uh, trialing. There are, in one case, they have a huge uh, lab built where they're able to bring an entire ecosystem of partners together into that area and test and, and play with the different equipment. And one is actually built out what I what I would characterize as a as a small town in the country that is that is on a separate ORAN-based radio architecture for the purposes of evaluating performance, et cetera, things of that nature. So um, that's where this all starts. If you see VRAN, you're probably looking at an, a, you know, a service provider or, a, or an architecture that has eyes of moving to ORAN as the industry evolves in front of us. Okay. However, having said that, <laughs> the biggest issue that they still have to tackle, and I still see in some of the, some of the cases, um, a lot of trepidation here is they have to, the service provider needs to be able to manage the interoperability and maintenance support across the multi-vendor ecosystem. You know, in the old days, you you turned the you 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 hitched your wagon to a, a network equipment manufacturer. They helped you deploy their network. It was 100% their equipment. You knew when they did a software release that it was going to work across that ecosystem of of devices that you've deployed. Mm -hmm. Right now, if you've broken that up and you've got three different vendors involved, uh, and they're all releasing on different timelines, how do you manage the the interoperability and regression testing that needs to be done. Well, that starts to become an issue for the service providers. And that's really starting to develop this system integrator ecosystem. Because if you look at private 5G, one of the biggest values that the system integrator brings to the table is managing 
that interoperability and maintenance support using lab as a service type of uh, type of toolkits. Well, then I want to follow up on that open RAN point, though, because it seems like open RAN adds a new element in terms of the type of testing that is involved in the amount of work that goes into integration. And you sort of uh, you sort of mentioned that. Um, I think you could say the same about the move to increasingly cloud based networks sort of in general, um, which is also very much related to this evolution that ultimately I think will will move toward open RAN. Yep. Uh, but let's maybe move away from the high level view and dig down into, you know, what do these new technologies mean for the network technician who's at a physical site doing testing and validation work to make sure that when a network site gets turned up, that it actually works the way it's supposed to, you know, what changes, if anything, for that tech on site? Yeah, another good question. And, and from Viavi, we hope it changes their, their world quite substantially. <laughs> so as we look at ORAN from a deployment or what I call a deployment or network turnup perspective, ORAN can and should evolve as a test point in the network. Okay. This is now an open standardized interface. We can do a lot of things with test gear from the base of the tower to very quickly validate and troubleshoot problems in the network. Right, essentially disconnect the DU, take it off the network, connect it to a test and measurement equipment that's capable of emulating the DU, and you can do a lot of really neat things that will help you very quickly isolate problems or very quickly validate, more importantly, the deployment, right? So these, so a team of tech, consider this, a team of technicians shows up at a tower. Somebody poured the concrete and built the tower. That happened months ago. Right? The technicians show up and they've got a bunch of boxes from the service provider. One's a radio, an antenna. They got a whole bunch of fiber. They got a, some coax, right? They've got all sorts of good stuff. And they've got to show up on site and, and build all that stuff onto the tower and then terminate the fibers into a cabinet at the bottom of the tower. But there's no other network connectivity at the site at this point in time because the, the, the site doesn't exist on the map. It's being built from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. Now, how do the guys who just got done putting all that equipment in the tower validate that everything they've just installed is working properly. Typically they can't until the network gets brought out to that site and they hook up the, the distributed unit and the lights go green mm -hmm. or the lights don't go green. And then you really got a problem because now you got to bring the guys back out to the site and start over and figure out, okay, now what's wrong with the site? and you got to fix it. All the while, the guys who came out there to turn the site on and start getting revenue generated by the site are standing on the side holding, you know, whistling Dixies trying to figure out when they're going to be done fixing what they've screwed up. Now, if you could take a piece of test equipment and hook it up to those fibers and stimulate that radio and, and basically test out that entire path up the tower before those guys leave, then when the network guys get there to hook it up, they know it's going to work. Very, very powerful. Same things can be said in the case of troubleshooting and, and problems. Like, for example, the ORAN interface gives you access to the uplink spectrum, which is very important because most interference problems in mobile networks happen on the uplink. Mm -hmm. Having access to the uplink uh, spectrum is key. We can also figure out whether PIM is being uh, generated by the cell site. We can measure PIM. So lots of capability built into using the ORAN interface as a test access point. 
and the complexity doesn't always doesn't only exist on the network side. Um, you, you you mentioned a little bit about some of the RF issues, the radio frequency issues here, um, and the RF side of five G has a, a fair amount of new challenges to it as well. Um, you know, so can can we talk a little bit more about the five G RF side of this and the complexity and what's different now and what that means for for network technicians? Sure. And, and what we're seeing, right, with the new frequencies and the upgrades on existing frequencies, PIM continues to rear its ugly head, right? There's new Intermod products. They used to be fifth. Now they're third. And, uh, and the difference is they're stronger, creating more interference, right? Uh, in addition, and we believe it, uh, believe it or not, these new frequencies extend the band plans for service providers and the techs and are looking to to use blind scanning technology and capability to help identify the different signals from the different carriers. So every time we add new spectrum, uh, we add new signals or air operator does, you know, keeping the technicians up to speed on where those signals are located, which ones are theirs, which ones are the competitors uh, signals. You know, we, we looked at that problem and we've started looking at blind scanning technology to help make it easy. So our blind scanner can go and scan the entire spectrum and come back to an, a mobile uh, operator technician and show him all the carriers that his service provider has in that area. So, you know, it's, it's PIM, it's new frequencies, right? Higher bandwidth, antenna direction and alignment is also becoming more and more important. Uh, and managing, of course, the negative consequences of not aligning the antennas properly, overlapping signals, sometimes PIM, et cetera. And then finally, the last thing quickly is TDD deployments are expanding, right? Everything in the mid-band is TDD. Mm -hmm. And this is highlighting quite a few challenges, including timing and synchronization, uh, and, uh, and then the classic uh, interference hunting uh, in a TDD environment, which uh, is very, very difficult to, to set up a spectrum analyzer to sweep properly over interference in TDD. And we are looking at, at automating a lot of that for, for the technicians. And some operators have sunsetted their 3G networks, but they're still relying on LTE to carry some of their user traffic, uh, in addition to being the anchor for 5G NSA. What do you think is the solution for na navigating all of that complexity, both in maintaining LTE and in bringing 5G to reality? Yeah, kind of kind of ended the last one with kind of the, the hint there, didn't I? The, so as we move forward in this, I think the test and measurement equipment or test and optimization equipment needs to take a broader role. Uh, not only does it need today to support LTE and 5G, but it also needs to embrace techniques to automate measurements and processes to install and maintain the service, right? If we don't pull some of that complexity back into the Measurement equipment will never be able to never be able to keep up with the evolving technologies in the field. It's so much to, to deal with, so much to ask. So removing the complexity from the technician by building the intelligence into the equipment is a major thrust of what Biavi is focusing on. So for example, we talked a little while ago about finding interference signals in TDD. We developed a technology that automate, automatically gates the sweep on the spectrum analyzer to more clearly bring out any interferers that would be in the uplink band on a TDD signal. One small example of where we're trying to make the equipment smarter to help the technician man navigate this complexity. Okay. 
Well, on that hopeful note then, and the role of automation and, uh, and smarter equipment, uh, I think we're gonna end it for this episode. So in our next installment, we'll dig deeper into some, of, some more of the issues that Jim uh, and Viavi Solutions are seeing in the field when it comes to 5G deployments, as well as how to resolve those and where 5G and the overall ecosystem are going. So thank you for joining us today. And we hope you'll take a listen to part two for the complete picture.